Good morning, loved ones. Welcome to today's podcast. Hope you're feeling good. I find you in the best of health. Let's go ahead and open this session with a prayer. How about the uh, the Lord is my shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. <clears throat> he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, <clears throat> for you are with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they come for me. The Lord has prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The Lord has anointed my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy and loving kindness shall follow me. All the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> Let me go ahead and read that again. Pray it the right way. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me besides the still waters. He restored my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. <clears throat> yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray the Our Father, please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, for forever and ever. Amen. 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 For the Father knoweth best what we need of. Amen. Let's go ahead and send a blessing to our uh, enemies. May, may God bless them and heal them, satisfy them and protect them, and bring them around to himself, that they may know the Lord and be in his bosom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much that uh, you're here with me this morning. We are excited that today, thank God it's Friday. Early in the morning, we get to spend some time together and go through the scriptures. Today, the 20th, my usual conclusion is reading some of my favorite Psalms and Proverbs. Like, for instance, Psalm 20, one of the most beloved, cherished Psalms. It's kind of interesting, that Psalm. It talks about banners and victory and God's strength and procession. Watch. 
Listen for yourself. Here's Psalm 20. It says, The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifice. Salah. Think about that. Grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill all thy counsel. We will rejoice in the salvation and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. The Lord fulfills all thy petitions. Now know I that the Lord saved his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, let the king hear us when we call. Amen. All right, now we'll go on to Psalm 50. The mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty. God has shined, our God shall come, and he shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very temperous around about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth, that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, that those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Salah. Think about those things. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goes out of thy whole foes. For every beast in the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and all the wild beasts of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. But unto thy wicked God said, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes? Or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth. See now, hatest instructions and cast my word behind thee. When thou sawest a thief, then thou consented with him, and hast been partaker with adulteress. Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother, thou slanderest thy own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. 
thou through us the, that I was altogether such as one as thyself. But I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, you that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and thou be no to deliver. Whoso offereth thy praise, glorify it me, and to him that ordered his conversation aright, will I show the salvation of God. Amen. That was Psalm 50. Notice that Psalm 50 said, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. He says, why would he deliver us? Well, he says, if I were hungry, I will not tell thee. For the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. He goes, well, I eat the flesh of, of bulls or drink the blood of goats. Here's the key, folks. Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows, thy commitments to the Most High God. And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. So we made a, an arrangement with God. We said, if he give me this brand new car, I will play praise music all day long. Remember saying that? Eventually I went to my other type of music. In other words, we make a commitment with God to get us out of a situation. And he just requires us to keep thanking him and praising him as we made a commitment that, that it, he did it. He got us out of that trouble. He made us well. We're not we we're we're similar like Israel. We go back and forth. We get tired of praising and thanking God and everything's running well, so we'll go and praise and thank God the the spirit of sport, the spirit of credit, the spirit of uh soap operas or or talking about our uh, uh, another human being which is in the likeness of God, our own brother. Give thanksgiving unto God and praise him and, and perform thy vows, thy commitment. He is God. He's saying right here, the only wise thing left to do, everything is mine. The only wise thing to do is to praise me and to see me work on your behalf and then, and then make a vow and a commitment to continue to praise me. That's the way people got saved in the Old Testament. Notice that he said, anyone that comes to me that has made an, a sacrifice to, to be with me, says, I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings that have been contained before me. I will take no bull. And around here, uh, he shall call the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints, this is the one I'm looking for, together unto me, that those that have made a covenant with my sacrifices. That's like a prophecy about Jesus Christ for us. huh? Gather my saints. The Lord is calling the saints already. So accept it. Accept his righteousness, his kindness. The moment you start, we start glorifying and praising God, that's the moment we accept his sacrifice by faith. I don't feel it. Yep. I don't sense it. Yep. It's a, it's a faith thing. It's faith. You got to, we have to teach our flesh to accept it, to believe it. Psalm 80 says, 
Give ear, O shepherd Israel, that thou leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubim shine forth. Amen. It says, Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? And then the last verse, it says, Turn us again, turn to us. So we will call upon the name of the Lord. Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts, cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Amen. Interesting that all these psalms are all similar in, in calling on the Lord. You see numbers there. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace. Amen. Now, Psalm 1, 110. Our next psalm. That's the one that says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Shall I make your enemies your footstool? The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thy enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art priest forever and ever, after the order of Meshach, the Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He who shall judge among the heathen, he shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads of many other countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore he lift up the head. Amen. This is the Lord. The Lord said unto my Lord. Father God said unto the Son, the Lord Jesus, Sit at my right hand until I make my, thy enemies thy footstool. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In Proverbs chapter 30, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 20 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whoever is derived or deceived thereby is not wise. Amen. And over here, um, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. That's Proverbs 20, verse at the end of the Proverbs. Let's go ahead and read the whole thing. I'm trying to get glean the best out of it, but... 
The fear of a king, verse 2, is of like a roaring of a lion. Whoso provoked him to anger sinned against his own soul. Very interesting passage there that we sin against our own soul. You ever have your own soul hate you? Why is that? Maybe the soul knows what's right and wrong and, and the flesh continually does sloppy, sinful things or doesn't reward the soul for hard work, doesn't uh, love itself, doesn't love the soul with the love of God. I guess the love of God has to go through the actions of the body so the soul can be satisfied. If, if we sin against our own soul, by not getting on our knees and praising God and confessing that we need a Savior. And if we've done that by getting on our knees and thanking God that we're saved and we continue to praise Him and glorify Him. You know, a revelation came to me this morning. I mean, at 4, oh, I guess it was about 4.35 a.m. I got on my knees and I prayed. And I just realized that prayer is, is receiving wisdom from God. Prayer is receiving knowledge and wisdom from God. But more like wisdom because we're already doing the action by getting on our knees. That's the knowledge. We, we know that prayer uh, creates strength and power and inspiration. So once I get on my knees and I ask, I pray the Our Father and I believe that God has heard me. I believe I have thrown that Frisbee into heaven. That all through the day, uh, Frisbees are going to come back to me. Multitudes of blessings for my prayer. But wisdom is God in action in prayer. Isn't that beautiful? A lot of you say, ha ha, we already know that, Fernando. Right after the fear of a king is the roaring of lion, whoso provoked him to anger sinned against his own soul. Like that you may anger God when you when I gossip against my own brother, I may anger God. When I judge someone and I don't know I haven't walked on their moccasins, I may anger the Spirit of God that's right here because I have received so much mercy, I have been forgiven so many things. I have been left off the hook so much. Now I'm in a position of sending out mercies, but instead I send out condemnation, judging, and I send out, what is it, curses, huh? What else is it called? When I gossip with somebody, aren't I sending out curses? And the Lord says, judge not or you'll be judged. So again, carry your ten, uh, your twenty pennies, and you got ten fingers, ten toes, and start blessing people. Twenty, twenty people a day is is our, your task. I am commanding you to bless ten people a day. Every time you see a transient, someone get in your way, someone these are the people that qualify. Someone in traffic, someone that you're talking to and annoys you. And you tell them, I love you and I forgive you. I love you and I bless you. Just, I love you with the love of the Lord. 
Just send it out. You got nothing to lose, folks. You're already saved. You're already going to heaven. What do you got to lose? But receive what we need through blessing others. <laughs> receive what we need by blessing others. All right, let's go ahead and move on. It is honorable for a man to cease from strife. Okay? It is honorable for a person to cease from strife. You stop striving, you become honorable. But every fool will be meddling. Oh, oh, oh. The sluggard, the lazy, will not work for reason of the coal. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. The just man walketh in his integrity, his children are blessed after him. A king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattered away all evil with his eyes. Who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from sin? Divers' weights and divers' message, both of them are alike, abomination to the Lord. Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work is pure and whether it be right. Even a child is known by the, his doings, whether his work is pure or whether it be right. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made even both of them. Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. It is not, it is not, says the buyer. But when he gone away, then he boasted, there is gold in a multitude of rubies. But the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Take his garments, that is surety for a stranger, and take a place of him for a strange woman. Bread is deceit, is sweet to a man. Bread of deceit is sweet to a man. But afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. Isn't that amazing? Uh, gospel is sweet at the moment. Uh, lying and cheating, or even saying, it kills me, you're killing me. That right there is deceit to your own soul, folks. Bread of deceit is sweet when it's to a person, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. Every purpose is established by counsel. With every purpose is established by words of counsel. And with good advice, make war. Our war is against principalities, powers, evil spirits that tells us in our to tell us to say, "It's killing me." It's telling us to call people fools. Is 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 telling us to judge and condemn. That's our war, folks. Those evil spirits. <clears throat> Every purpose is established by counsel. Okay. And with good advice, make war. He that goes about as a... Huh, is it interesting? Here's about gossip, the next one. He that goeth about as a tale bearer, revealeth secrets. Therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. 
Whoso cursed his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. An inheritance may be gotten hastily at the beginning, but the end thereof shall not be blessed. Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Say not, I will recompense evil. Someone talks about you, saying something. Someone offends you. It's the opportunity for you to choose love and righteousness. If that person is not born again, you want that person born again. If that person has uh, is, is, is stubborn and is always believing you, you have a chance to bless them and act like the Lord Jesus Christ by giving them love. You are the wiser one. You are the one that has the bigger heart and your honor. You get honor and you turn someone from, from their unrighteousness because you didn't respond the way their evil responds. But you respond the way the Father responds with love understanding, and, and letting God be God. Amen. Whoso Okay, here we go. I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. <clears throat> it's a good feeling to have chosen the right way and given the benefit of the doubt to a, to a agnostic person. You don't have to go over the facts. Just bless them. Diver weights are an abomination unto the Lord, and a false balance is not good. Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man understand his own way? Man's goings are of the Lord. The ways of the Lord are, are his ways. How can a man <clears throat> understand his own way? It is a snare to the man who devoureth that which is holy, and, and after vows to make inquiry. A wise king, king scatters the wicked and bringeth the wheel over them. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Mercy and truth preserve the king, and his throne is upheld by, mer by mercy. The glory of young men is their strength, and the beauty of old men is their gray head. Blue, the blueness of a wound cleanses away evil. So do stripes that the inward parts of the belly. That was the, uh, I believe, the old King James version, of course. <clears throat> May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine you, be gracious unto you, lift up his counsel, and give you peace. In Jesus' name, go. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and be blessed. Thank you for showing up at today's podcast. Our session has ended. Reading of Limitless Love, May 20th. The Perfect Expression of Charity. Chariot suffereth long, and is kind. Chariot envieth not. Ch love vaunted not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not his own, is not easily provoked, 
thinks no evil, rejoices and not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. 1 Corinthians 4 and 8. When I study this passage of Scripture, I enjoy using the King James Version of the Bible because it uses the word charity instead of love. Although that translation bothers some people, charity is actually a very good word. In recent times, it's hard in recent times, it had a bad reputation because it has come to be associated with the condensating kind of giving that some people do for the poor. In the minds of many people, giving someone charity means giving them your leftovers. It robs the receivers of their sense of warmth or worth and dignity and gives rise to the phrase, I don't want your charity. But when the translators originally chose that word, it carried an entirely different meaning at that time. It represented something even deeper and more substantial than what we normally think of as love. It signified more than an emotional feeling. Charity was a giving love, a deep desire to help someone in need. When a person had charity, they had such a strong commitment and drive to care for another that they wanted to give their very best they had. You can get a sense of what the word meant when you realize the word cherish that we use today come from that same root word. To share with someone is to treasure them, to value them so highly you esteem them as priceless. Add to that concept a willing determination to keep on treasuring that person no matter what they do or how they respond to you. And you have a good picture of what charity truly is. Now, with that truth in mind, read these verses again, taking the word charity and putting God's name in its place. That's a perfectly legitimate thing to do. Since the scripture themselves tells us that God is love, he is the perfect expression of charity. God suffers long and is kind. God envies not and God vaunted not himself. God is never puffed up and he doesn't behave himself unseemingly. He seeks not his own. He's not easily provoked. God thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. God will never fail you. Amen. May 21st, the ultimate gentleman. 1 Corinthians verse 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. No matter how many times we read this passage, these verses, we will always be blessed to go back to them again and again because they give such insight into the nature of love, which is the nature of God himself. 
As we already seen, one valuable way to study them is to substitute the word God for the word love. So they not only become a description of how we should love others, but how God himself loved us. That immediately strains out some of our religious misconceptions. Saying that God is patient and kind, for example, dismantles the idea many people have that God is a quick-tempered tyrant. For example, dismantles the idea many people have that God is a quick-tempered tyrant sitting over them with a hammer, ready to knock them in the head every time they do something wrong. According to these verses, that is not God's nature at all. He's not irritable and quick to get mad. He bears with us, hopes in us, and believes the best about us, even in the worst of times. God will put up with us when no one else will. He'll stay with us to the very end. But what about the verses that say love isn't envious and doesn't insist on its own way? Someone might ask, doesn't the Bible say God is a jealous God? Doesn't it say we have to do things his way? Yes, but God isn't selfishly jealous like human beings are. He doesn't demand we do what he says so, so that he can be in control. God desires us to put him first in our lives because he loves us and he knows that no one else can take care of us like he can. No one else can fully meet our needs. He knows that if we turn our hearts away from him, we'll suffer pain and lack. We'll miss out on the wonderful blessings he has provided for us. He wants us to obey him and to do things his way for the same reason. He's not because he's a dictator who likes to call all the shots, is because his way is the right way. His way is the way that will benefit us, prosper us, and satisfy our heart's desires. Even so, he refuses to be rude. He won't force his way into our lives. He waits in love like the ultimate gentleman until we invite him in. I am thoroughly convinced that the more we see him as he truly is, the more we'll do exactly that. We'll invite him into every corner of our lives and give ourselves more completely than ever to the God who is love. May 22nd. Kenneth Copeland, the disciples whom Jesus loves. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? <clears throat> Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore this say went out among the brethren, that the disciple would not die. Jesus, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. John 21, verse 20 to 24, New American Standard. The rumor that was spread among the disciples was that the Apostle John would never die. It's especially interesting. Although it was not li literally true, there was truth in it because history tells us the Romans were never able to kill him. They couldn't even stop his ministry. 
At one point during the persecution of the church, John was actually boiled in oil, yet he was miraculously delivered and came out unhurt. Finally, in desperation, the government tried to throw him away by exiling him to the desolated island of Patmos. They thought by putting him there, they could keep him from having contact with anyone. They could cut off his influence. As it turned out, they were wrong. It was on the island of Patmos that John received and wrote the book of Revelation. That was the secret being his astounding success. What was the secret? What was it that made him virtually indestructible? You can find it in John's own writing. He never referred to himself by his name. He always called himself the disciple Jesus loved. That was his confession of faith. I am the disciple Jesus loves. He didn't say it to imply that Jesus didn't love the others. He said it to enforce a revelation of his own heart that he was personally and individually loved by the master. He said it because he knew it was true. Yet the more he said it, the more deeply he comprehended. He, he said it and said it and said it until he finally had a revelation of love that surpassed all others. As a result, he was filled with, not, with such a fullness of God that he could say with boldness and assurance, as he is, so are we in this world, 1 John 4, 17. Notice John didn't say, as I am, so am I. No, he said, so are we. That means as wonderful as he was, the Apostle John didn't have anything in God that's not available to us. The same revelation he had, we can have too. Whether it is dawn on us yet or not, we also... We are also the disciple whom Jesus loves. I believe it's time we say so. Amen. Everybody say with me, I am the disciple Jesus loves. I am the disciple Jesus loves. I am the disciple Jesus loves. Greetings, family. Welcome to today's reading. May 20th, Free from the Curse by Kenny Copeland. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for being with us. Lord, we say, Our Father, who art in the heavens, holy, holy is your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to today's reading of uh, our Bible College curriculum, Free from the Curse. We're using Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Curse is everyone that hang it on a tree. Christ has redeemed us, guys, from the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed us from cursing, from cursing others, from cursing ourselves, from receiving curses automatically by not being in the in the kingdom of God. Jesus was being made a curse for us, took all the curses like a covering. He covered, he recovered us. He redeemed us. He put his arms around us, his his dome, his kingdom, 
and he took the curse. The curse does not reign on us anymore. We are free from the curse. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross for redeeming us and taking that curse from us, Lord. We could not do it ourselves. We tried many a ways, Lord God. And he came into our rescue, and we thank you, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Kenneth Copeland goes on to say, You know the story. Satan came to Adam's wife in the form of a serpent and deceived her into disobeying God. Adam, although he was not deceived, followed suit. When Satan came into the garden that day, he didn't even have any power at all. He had to come in like a sneak, not even talking to Adam directly, but talking to his wife. Now, Adam was standing there, and he should have kicked him out right there and then. But he didn't. He set aside the command God had given him and did what Satan told him to do instead. And when he did that, he made Satan his Lord. In bowing his knee to Satan, Adam gave Satan the authority that God had given him. He made Satan the illegitimate ruler of the earth. Immediately things changed. Through one man's trespasses, death passed through all men. Romans 2, 5, 7, 12. Immediately things changed. Through one man's trespasses, death passed. The earth and everything in it was suddenly cursed. Okay, you say, are we to live under that this curse for the rest of our lives? <clears throat> Wasn't there anything God could do? He could... And he did. He sent Jesus. <clears throat> Though Jesus has set us free from the curse, Galatians 3.13. <clears throat> the moment you made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, you were delivered from the Lordship of Satan. You were redeemed from the curse. I didn't say the curse wasn't out there anymore. It is. You can see it all around you. But now you have a choice. <clears throat> you have authority over it in the name of Jesus. So you can stand against it. God's done everything that love can do. He sent Jesus to redeem you from the curse. The rest is up to you. Now you must appropriate what has already been done for you. Appropriate it. Amen. Remember the moment we made Christ Jesus the Lord of our lives, we became New persons. We were delivered from the lordship of Satan. Have you ever tested it? Have you ever tried to go back to the dance floor or that kind of life? And you say, man, this is close to hell as can be. Ever, you know, it's just one of the most ridiculous things that I ever done was to go back, dance, take a girl dancing, and I saw the, uh, the stench and the stink of the bar room the chemicals coming out of the uh, those drinks, the people wildly, uh, it seemed like they were in, on fire the way they were dancing. And they were, I just ran out of there. I was a new, I was born again. I didn't need to go there. I was redeemed from the curse. I didn't say that the curse was out there anymore. The curse is still there. You can see it all around you, but now I have a choice. I have authority over it in the name of Jesus, so I can stand against it. You know, now it's in our court. Jesus and the Father and the angels, they did everything there is to straighten things out. He is holding out the keys. 
The keys is his word. His word are keys. Amen. Joshua 1.8 These keys of the law shall not depart from you, but you should meditate on them day and night. For then you shall make your way successful, and then you will have uh, prosperity. Good, good success and prosperity. It so happens that this world was made by positive words, words of, that are, are God's words, inspired words. All we have to do is pick up those words and say it to this situation around us, and we become part of that blessing. Let's go ahead and read Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, please. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. Beautiful, beautiful words of life. Romans 5, verses 12 to 21. Here we go. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin... For until the law sin was in the world, for unto the law, until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, for it by the one man offense, many died. Much more, the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which comes through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For it is by one's Man's offense, death, reign through the one. Much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteousness act, the free gift came. To all men resulted in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow, that was heavy. That was the New King James Version, people. I have the Amplified Bible, but we get the, we get the concept. I'll go ahead and stop right there. That's good enough. Thank you, Jesus Christ our Lord, that through grace we reign. Through grace we reign, through Jesus Christ. Grace is the word of God, folks. That's the hard part on us. 
to get into the wisdom's face by reading the Word of God. You say, my life is not working. Well, how much reading are you doing? How much of success words are you contemplating? How much success words am I enjoying out of the Word of God? Have I set a certain time of the day to research and enjoy the Word of God and get myself a good plaintiff, a good foundation, so I could be stamped like a coin? I love you. May the blessings of the Lord be upon you. We give you praise. Let God's inscription be all over us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Give them heaven, folks. The Next Step Emotional Sobriety Workshop. Thank you for listening in. Let's pray. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to to know the difference. Amen. This was done in February of 8 in 2002 with Dave F. and Mark H. It's an emotional sobriety AA workshop. Here's a section of it that I chopped right into it. Enjoy. Once again, the real importance about this exercise is that nanosecond of consideration. Don't jump at the answer. And think about it in terms of, of past, what your past experience has been. What is your experience? You know, I have some people in my life that I know that guys that I work with, that if you ask them what their higher power is, they give you this description of this loving God, et cetera, et cetera. And then you talk to them about, well, geez, what has your actions been for the last six, eight months? And it's all been about money, 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 you know, getting a better job and earning money. And, and I said, well, which is your higher power? You know, you're not praying, you're not meditating, you're not doing 10 and 11. And all you're concerned about is this new report. Look at number two, it says high finance. Is that your higher power? You know, has that been your higher power? Have you had a shift? We'll, we'll take a couple minutes here. Maybe we'll take five minutes. You probably won't have a chance to finish this exercise. What the big book says, it says on 47.1, it says, Do not let any prejudice you have against spiritual terms deter you from honestly, there it is, honesty, asking yourself what they mean to do to you. Here are the spiritual terms. I went through the big book and pulled out anything, any words that are capitalized where they shouldn't be capitalized. And to me, that tells me Bill Wilson is talking about a God, a, a spirit, something bigger than him. And compare your experience to it. And just skim through these things and kind of get an idea of what is your God? What do these spiritual terms mean to you? Are you in a God of high finance? Is that, your fi- is that what your goal is right now? Has that been your past experience for the last couple months? Or is your, your God a, a loving creator? You know, and that you're letting your, turning your will and your life over to you know, take a moment, think about it, and, and uh, we'll give you five minutes for it. Yeah, Bill. Did you alcohol, or did you just miss that? I must have just missed it. Oh, oh back on, uh, yeah, it's back when, uh, it's 151. <laughs> How could I forget that number? King Alcohol is one of them, yes. This was, by all means, this is, not, this whole thing came about in a matter of, literally, I wrote all these exercises in about four hours, when I had, had about four hours of sleep, so... There's, I guarantee there'll be errors, you know, and if you know one like that, write it down. King alcohol is one. So, 
And it just went, ah. Oh. That's what we're looking for. We've stimulated something. There's How many people have ever done this instruction in the book and honestly asked themselves what these spiritual terms, which these are, mean to you? It's one of the basic instructions of the big book. Very few people ever, ever do it. Homework. Oh, no more homework. Tonight. Everybody that said, oh, when I said time's up, this is a jewel. This is another one of the diamonds in the mud for you. And if it, if it hasn't hit you, by all means, continue with it. Bill Wilson, in 1947, wrote an article for Guidepost. He said, simple, these principles, yet a large order indeed. When one tries to apply them, he is bound to collide with a most heavy obstacle. That obstacle is his own pride. If you haven't been touched by starting this process for just even five minutes, I guarantee you, you get spiritual pride. Something's blocking you. You are prejudiced. You have a preconceived idea of what your power of, of God is in your life. Take a look at what he's been and what he is now. Um, hopefully, when we start sharing them as a group, you'll see it from a different perspective. Yet AAs find that if we go all out in daily practice of our 12 steps, we soon commence to live in a new, unbelievable world. Our pride yields to humility and our cynicism to faith. We begin to know serenity. We learn enough patience, tolerance, honesty, and service to subdue our former master. Insecurity, resentment, and unsatisfied dreams of power. We find that God can be relied upon, that our strength can come out of weakness, that perhaps only those who have tasted the fruits of dependence on a higher power can understand the true meaning of personal liberty, freedom of the human spirit. That's what this exercise is designed for. Let me read you a couple of these. See, I don't do these exercises. I've done this in the past, but before I started, I didn't want to prejudice myself for the workshop. And I'm having a neat experience. I'm doing them with you. And I'll just read you a couple of mine real quick. Our Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, I wrote down, I got sober on the fellowship because I didn't believe in God. I wasn't raised with God. High finance, I thought that money would solve all of my problems. Notice that's a past tense. I don't believe that anymore. Um, a power greater than myself. It must be if I'm to survive step one, because I have lack of power is my dilemma. Uh, here's one. If you had asked me before this workshop about Christ, I would have said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Here's what I wrote. I'm not completely sure. I'm trying to believe. God was obviously within him. I need more experience. Brotherhood of man. God has no grandchildren. We're all brothers and sisters under God. Devil. I wrote drinking. The devil owned my butt. Boss universally. If I've tried and lived the third step prayer. Creative intelligence. When I rightly relate myself to him. Universal mind. I get my thinking back if I'm in conscious contact. Spirit of nature. His majesty displayed. Czar of the heavens. Czar is a title. God is experiential. Newfound friend. My experience confirms this. That's enough out of me. You want to share some of yours? Or you... No, actually, uh, <clears throat> I'd like to hear from uh, I'd like to hear from some people out there. Some of uh, and and I know there wasn't much time there. Some of you've been able to write some stuff out and or some of your experiences with the uh, second step. And then uh, I think we we've got the second step propositions in. Yes. that right? Yeah, we got the second so, step proposition to go after this. But uh, I'd like to hear from a couple of you in the uh, audience around this issue of the 
the second step on it. You know, the short form is coming to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. So if something you wrote down, like Christ, that my answer on that one really blew my mind. If you had one of those, share it. You know, we'll do, let's say, 10 minutes of that, and then we'll jump into the second step proposition because that's the real key. Anybody want to, uh, to offer some of their experience with this? Yeah, right over here. Uh, turn on the other mic. Sometimes those mics are dependent. There you go. I'm an alcoholic, and uh, my name is Gene. Hi, Gene. I just want to go down on record that um, my ex-wife's uh, name is uh, Nancy. Not All right. <laughs> Love it. Not the plaintiff. I referred to her as the plaintiff before. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been his sponsor for years, and I never knew her name was Nancy. <laughs> um, I just like to um, to uh, relate back to uh, both exercises and real quickly, and uh, by saying that um, Dave and I were together on a twelve-step um, call, and uh, we were um, reviewing uh, my uh, one of my fifth steps uh, where I was blocked, in which. Um, He's told me that uh, in the eighth step, the last word in the eighth step is all, and it's written twice. And I had um, failed to do a, a ninth step with, uh, with my brother. Uh, I hadn't spoken to him in uh, over 17 years. Over 17 years I hadn't spoken to him. Uh, it was over a disagreement with uh, my mother's death and all. And um, he, re he uh, analyzed it as uh, I was the uh, judge, jury, and executioner at that particular time. Um, I hear a report that, uh, number one, that I, I had made that amends. I had sought him out. I uh, found uh, where he has uh, lived and everything else and all. Made the phone call and um, stated uh, my part in the situation and asked uh, what I could do to uh, make the situation better. I can't tell you right now that um, everything I'm going through in my, in my personal life, but i got to tell you that, um, you know, they, they talk about the promises coming after the ninth step. I believe that um, I have had um, a spiritual awakening of, uh, of, of the variety type that they describe in the big book. It's just, it's just so incredible. And that um, I've done this exercise uh, of, of God and everything else because I, uh, I like the workbook that we use uh, down in Vernonsville. Uh, it, it shows me in the index in the back how many times uh, God is listed in the big book. And uh, I've had the opportunity to go through it and, and look at it. and. Um, I'm here to report now that uh, God is everything or he's nothing at all in my life. Thank you very much for, uh, for this program. Thanks, G. Yeah, would you hand the mic up here, G? Hi, I'm Lisa, alcoholic. I'm from, I'm from North Reading, Massachusetts. And um, like this. Um, I just wanted to share where I was um, when I was uh, filled up with myself, um, sober, I thought, um, doing well in Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, I found myself in another failed marriage, and, um, and I gave birth to my second son, and he was in the ICU unit um, for months, and the day came when the doctors told me to think about disconnecting everything. And um, 
and I wasn't in a spiritual place where I even prayed. And, and so someone came up and prayed for my son, and um, he coughed up his breathing tube and like breathed for the first time in his life. And being presented with that evidence um, that there is a power greater than myself, which I had struggled with in the seven years that I had been sober, I took this baby home and um, felt that, you know, it was uh, God punishing me for everything I had done in my past because he does have cerebral palsy. And, um, you know, I felt really sorry for myself because I was, you know, in another failed marriage and um, and I did pick up. And um, when I came back into Alcoholics Anonymous, I was introduced to the steps in the big book. And what a gift. Um, by going through, this child um, is such a blessing in my life. He's 14 years old now, and he's fine. Um, you know, he sees, he's happy just the way he is. You know, the problem is always me. You know, and um, I'm just like so grateful that that I was given the gift of of this. And um, what I wrote down for um, Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous is that despite everywhere that I go, it's only in these rooms that that I feel the presence of God. Um, and the other thing I just want to say is Eric. That's my son's name. He. Um, I had to take him with me when I started coming back to meetings, and all my kids have different last names, which Joanne laughed at me when you said, she said, well, you have to say that because you've had so many exes, you have to introduce them by name. So, but Eric, but Eric for the longest time, um, at one time when he was about three, um, everyone was going around um, introducing themselves, and he tapped me, he said, Mom, they're, they're talking about you. They keep saying your last name. He thought that my last name was alcoholic for like three years. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Ozzy, you got a mic back there? Hand it back. Working? Yeah, it's working. Oh, this, uh, this is great. When I, when I came in, especially on the second step, uh, I finally accepted Papa Schmurf as a, as a higher power because he had a beard. And someone gave him one, so I said, you know, other people have statues on their dashboards of their cars, so I'll pop, put Papa Schmurf up there. But once I started doing that, was a willing, and I asked God in my life, will you come in and, sh and show yourself to me? And thank God for these steps. And I did, and, and, and at that time there, you talk about money, and I had a very successful medium-sized business. I had a uh, the estate that I, uh, that I had, the business, that stuff. And back, this is back 20 years ago. It was about $3.5 million. And then all of a sudden, I had a rush of wind after, after praying, walked around, and, uh, and the Lord came to me. I said, follow me, believe in me, and give up everything. And within six months, I had that completely given away. The kids thought I was nuts. To follow, to follow a life. And uh, when God came into my life, right away he introduced me to his son, Jesus, and then to the Holy Spirit. And the peace that came in is, is there all the time. I may have bad days, but I'm so just so grateful 
for this program bringing me to the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Ozzy. What a testament. Money's not the answer. It's really not the answer. Yeah, over here. Who's got the mic? Would you hand that back to her? Hi. Hello? Oh, it's on. Hi, everybody. My name is Jean, and I'm an alcoholic. I want to share on the second step as we go into it. Uh, for me, this is a step that has grown and grown and grown as years went by because there were... Being an alcoholic, I have a hard time reading what the words actually say. Now, you would think I could read. I don't read well. It took me a few years in the program before I saw in the second step could restore me to sanity. And I had not accepted that God could restore me to sanity. I thought I was turning my will and life over, but I thought I would remain the same discombobulated crazy lady with wild moods and uncontrollable emotions forever. And God could restore me. I did not have to be the crazy lady if I could believe in the restoration to sanity. Uh, when I first came in the program, I'm really fortunate in that I hit a low bottom and I was I had had my ego bashing. Thank you very much. It was done. I was through, I wasn't fighting alcohol. Uh, the, one on, the item on your exercise that really, Im, really touched me was the power of God. My problem was a lack of power, and there's no question about it. I had no way, no, no way out. I had to find power somewhere. And I think anybody that really gets hit hard by the first step is going to be compelled to find a power greater than themselves. Um, but even in finding that sense of power, first in the fellowship, then as time passed and I grew in other areas, I became comfortable with Mother Nature. I became comfortable with a, a broader concept of my God. And finally, you know, finally, I've, I've I've understood that it's progress, not perfection. And I really don't want to ever finish the first step. I'm so glad that I keep getting new insight as time goes on. Um, but this power that my higher power has is not some mystical mood off in a retreat somewhere. This is a high-octane power that drives everyday life. And I need that power. I don't have to work on my own gas. Thank you. What a great testament, you know. How many people have seen people using AA as a spiritual filling station? You know, they can't be away from a meeting. You know, I, I, they walk in and they're just frazzled. and. Yeah, I got a topic. It's been three days since I've been to an A meeting. Man, I need help. You know, my God goes with me everywhere. I, all I have to do is stop for a second, get into the moment, and man, it's just like taking a plug and plugging it in.
boom, I'm energized, let's go. Provided I give away all that power. If I plug in and I keep it all for myself, eventually my battery can't handle it. It starts to overcharge. In very short order, I'm in deep trouble. Let's, uh, we, we, I hate to cut it off, we're having so much fun, but we got one more thing we gotta do before we go to lunch. This tool is the single most powerful tool that I have seen uh, with the guys that I work with, it's changed my life. It's called the Second Step Proposition Exercise. For those of you in this room that have done it recently, try it again. <laughs> Look at him, he's, he's so sad, he just did it. The person that did it recently is not the person that's sitting in this room. You've had a shift this morning, you're a different person. That's the beauty of step work. I, I ask, get people ask me that question all the time. Well, I just, I wrote a uh, four step, you know, uh, seven years ago and I never fifth stepped or finished the amends, you know, and they're working with me now and they want, they want to know, can I use that inventory? I'm like, are you that person? You know, you, you, hopefully you've changed a little bit in the last seven years. Throw it away, it's a start new. Let's, let's start with the person that's sitting here and see what comes to you and we'll go from there. Uh, if you've got a big book and you want to flip open to it, uh, go to 53 colon two, second paragraph on page 53. If you're like me, this paragraph is highlighted and starred and, and 15 different colors and there's notes written in the margins and it's, it says on 53 two, it also says it on top of the sheet, but if you haven't got the sheet yet, uh, it's coming around. It says when we became alcoholics, comma, so let's stop right there. The first assumption is that you're alcoholic. Now, there's people in this room that are not alcoholic, all right? There's, there's, this, these are open retreats. There's probably Al-Anons and OAs and all kinds of things in these rooms. But there's other people in this room that, that are thinking they're alcoholic that may not be actually alcoholic. There's a whole series of exercises. If we were doing a nuts and bolts retreat, we'd be taking a hard look at, are you a real alcoholic, all right? So this, getting to this point, We've just gone past the second step area where the, where, where the, uh, the God references and the spiritual exercises. It says right there, it says, lay aside the drink question. Well, if we're gonna lay aside the drink question, it really doesn't matter from this point. The program is universal for, there's over 250 groups using the same 12 steps. They change one word, whatever it is that they're powerless over. So Bill's starting out here and he says, when we became alcoholics, he's talking about the hopelessness. The book was written for alcoholics. That's in my experience why this is, is here. If you've got a different addiction and you're in this room for a different thing that you're, you're powerless over, when you became whatever, all right? Because here's the catch, after the comma, crushed by a self-imposed crisis. We've done a lot of talk about that this morning. We could not postpone or evade. We, we had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't what was our choice to be. Well, if God is everything, guess what? That means you gotta give God everything. Just like I was talking about the lady in the back. What you want doesn't matter, you don't get a vote. What happens in Alcoholics Anonymous is we come in and we say, God, if you just get me sober, that's all I want. Just get me sober, I'll do whatever you want. Guess what, he did, he got you sober. And then we're saying, well, God, if you just make him burn in hell, that, 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 that ex-husband, you know, and if you just get me this job, I'll be happy. And if you get me this, I'll be happy. And we start setting out all these if-thens, if this, then I will. Wrong. You asked for one thing and that was sobriety. Everything else is gravy. Well, if God is everything, that means you have to give God everything, all of your life. That's what this exercise is about. So let's get quiet for a second and think about 
what areas of my life have I not given to God or am I unwilling to give to God? And think back on the questions that we did last night from the step one exercise. Could it possibly be the areas that you're volatile, the road rage, could that be one of the areas that you haven't given to God? The, uh, you know, any of those questions that you thought maybe had a little of a negative idea, that's the reason we wrote those questions out last night. Maybe those are areas that you haven't given to God and you need to put down. Don't go beyond that. Just fill out the left-hand column on the middle of the page there. Areas you haven't or are unwilling to give to God. And uh, we'll give you a couple minutes to think about that and do that. So what hasn't she given to God in there? See, there's some things for her to identify. She's either unwilling. There's a payoff in being miserable to the ego. I hate to say that, but there's a payoff. Um, Sometimes all, we wallow in the messy bog, getting a misshapen pleasure out of it. All of us have an archetype called a victim, but I, I'm just saying, I, there's been a lot of things said here that you can look at relative to what have I either haven't or been unwilling to give up. One of the ideas, for example, because relationship seems to come up a lot, is what if it's none of your business whether you're in one or you're not? Why don't you give that up? Or how about this? Why don't you give up the belief system that you need someone else in your life in order for you to be okay? Etc. That's what kind of stuff you're trying to look at in the second step proposition. That kind of a thing. Or any of you, for example, that may have this idea that there's a punishing God, right? I mean, are you willing to give up that idea? Are you willing to give up your current concept of God? You know, it's just... I've always laughed about the concept of a punishing God. I mean, what... What kind of a God would punish people who are sound asleep, dreaming they're awake, doing things? You know, and like they're just, you know, it just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit in anything that I've ever experienced. I suppose that's why there's such a thing as a God of mercy, right? So, but those are some ideas I'm just trying to throw out about, am I, am I willing to, to give that up? And then, you know, that, that kind of a thing. Those of us with spare tires that we're trying to get rid of, you know, we haven't been able to be too successful on it, we keep eating. Those of us who are afraid to forgive, we forgive but we can't forget, those type of deals. Those of us who have been extremely harmed, those grievous harms, child abuse or molestations, rapes, you know, maybe that's an area that needs to be given to God. Maybe you need to put that timer on there. <laughs>
here's the purpose of this exercise. When we get done with it, there's going to be a tool. It's going to be a very valuable tool for you. The next half of this exercise is we need to take a look at why those things, whatever you wrote down on this sheet, why are you afraid? What are you afraid of? What are you going to lose by giving it to God? For example, let's take one of those grievous harms. Let's say somebody raped you. Why are you afraid to let that person off to forgive them? Because in your mind, that's giving them back to God to let God be the judge. You want control. You still you still want them to suffer. You're afraid for them not getting justice. The only problem is you want to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. That's the kind of thing you need to write down. One of the things that it hit me very strongly that I wrote down was the health of my family. I can't mentally, I can't even go to the place of thinking about one of my kids getting hurt or God forbid even getting killed. Why am I so afraid of that? What what triggers in me? What's that fear? I need to take a look at it and write that out. That's life and death stuff. I watched a guy go through that. He showed up at an AA meeting. He'd just gotten back from the morgue identifying his son who died, burned to death. He didn't drink. And I thought to myself, I could never do that. What am I afraid of? Is my God everything or is he nothing? You know, do I want that? Absolutely not. But I need to touch those fears and follow the fear tool. We're going to finish the fear tool. We're only halfway down the pipe. So don't stop on this. Don't let fear distract you from writing the truth down. So let's finish the second. Act. You got any comments on that before we start that? So let's, why don't you take a look at those items and write down what you're afraid of. Why are you afraid to give these items to God? Let's all go to our big books, <clears throat> page uh, 68. 68, colon 3. It says, We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our Creator. Notice it's a capital C. We can laugh at who think, those who think spirituality is a way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. Hmm. Step one, lack of power. And this is the way of strength. What's that about? The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. What a great definition of courage that is. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him, capital him, demonstrate action through us, means we have to do the action, what he, capital he, can do. And look at this next instruction here. Most alcoholics get this halfway correct. We ask him, capital him, that means we're going to have to say a prayer. We ask him to remove our fear. That means the stuff we just wrote down on the right-hand column, whatever those fears are that are listed there, we're going to have to go into prayer and meditation and ask God to remove those from us. What we miss is the second half of that sentence. It's an and sentence. I mean, just two pieces to it. And we would have to ask God to direct our attention what he would have us be. Not what he would have us do. What would he have us be? Let me give you an example from my sheet. I talked about my kids, right? Anybody in my family getting hurt? 
I wrote down pain, loss, alone, drinking, and dying. That's what I'm really what I'm afraid about. So I will take each one of those, and at the bottom of the sheet there, I will put number one, it will be pain. Number two will be loss. Number three will be alone. Number four will be drinking. Number five will be dying, right? But I don't write the fear in those blanks. What do I write down? I go into meditation and I say, when I'm afraid of pain, what does God want me to be? He wants me to be faithful. So I would write down in space number one, faithful. He wants me to be trusting. So I will write trusting. Courageous. I'll write down courageous. Tolerant. I'll write down tolerant. Right? Then I go to my second fear. Loss. What does God want me to be when I'm, I'm afraid of loss? Once again, he wants me to trust. I have to trust that he's got a plan. So I'll write down trusting again. You know? Take these fears into meditation and write down when you're feeling this fear, the question to ask yourself is when I'm feeling this way, when I have this fear and I'm gripped by this fear, what would God want me to be in that state? And that's what goes down. The numbers should match what's in the right-hand column. Does that make sense? All right. When we get done with this exercise in your guides, if you go to your guides, in your, your handout, the big 25-pack pager, on page five of the guide, there's a description of the second step proposition exercise. It's in essence what you've done. When we get this whole thing done, if you go to page, uh, what is it, seven of the guide, you'll notice there's a card there. That, that, those blocks represent a three by five card. When we're done with this exercise, your homework assignment is gonna take these columns that we've just written out and transfer them to a three by five card, all right? The areas of your life that you're afraid to give to God or you haven't given to God goes on the left-hand side. You draw a line, what you're afraid of. You write down the fears. You flip the card over and on the back, you write down what God wants you to be. And then you carry the card with you. So you're going through the you're going through your day and the phone rings in my case and it's the school nurse and she says you know what your son just got hurt he's on his way to the hospital you know go and you hang up the phone if you have the presence of mind you can stop right there and you go oh my god and your mind starts to race and the hamster's on the wheel I can reach in my pocket and say God please help me I need your help now I look at the card and I say which fear has been triggered God please remove this fear from me right now. What does he want me to be? And I got something to focus my attention on. God wants me to be courageous. He wants me to be faithful. He wants me to be a good father. He wants me to be of service to others. God, help me to do that. Now, instead of me being in a panic, driving like an idiot on the way to the hospital, I'm in a place of trust and faith and confidence. I didn't have to write an inventory. I didn't have to call my sponsor. I didn't have to go to an AA meeting. All I had to do was watch and realize there's an emotional disturbance in me Ergo, I must be afraid, go to the card, and it's in my pocket. Powerful, powerful, powerful tool. There's dozens of people in this room that have done this exercise over time, and it's changed their lives, myself included. Read these four pages tonight. When you to read, it's a, it's a pretty detailed explanation about this exercise. But for right now, let's take five minutes and, and, and meditate on what God wants you to be for the various fears, and we'll start writing those down now. You got anything on that?
done it. Okay. I'm just going to share what happened last time. Cool. Once again, homework assignment. To finish this up, there's a, a huge diamond in the rough on this one. There's a, there's tremendous change to be had by finishing the second step proposition exercise and taking it through. One of the things that I just wrote down was I was talking about, I talked to you about trusting God in relation to my kids. There's another half to that sentence. It's trust and rely. Remember, what I want doesn't matter. I don't get a vote. I have to rely that God has a plan. If you miss the trust and rely, you miss the opportunity of realizing the gratitude for them being in my life in the first place. My children are a gift. If God calls them home to be with him, how terrible is that? It's terrible for me if I'm attached to them, but I can also find the other side of the coin and be the tremendous gratitude for every single day that I get those kids and the gifts that they give me over and over and over and over again. Now, do I want them to go home to God? Not yet. I'm greedy. I'm not that well yet. But this, there's a shift that occurs, and I just had a little mini shift. I call those God shots. I had a little God shot writing this stuff with you guys. I'm going to let Mark talk about his experience with uh, Second Step Proposition. Uh, Mark, alcoholic. Mark. Uh, let's see. I'll take uh, last uh, last year, Dave and I did a Fellowship of the Spirit in New York, and we met together and swapped fifth steps and so really after really after the fellowship of the New Yorker during that I I, uh, I did some work with this particular piece and I, I took uh, four areas I took and I'll, I'll talk to you about maybe two of them I took smoking uh, I didn't smoke start smoking until I was 33 years old smoked for uh, I guess I smoked 20 23 years and I want to tell you what happens with that I did this exercise this was in like what early August right yes yeah, July August. December 3rd, I wake up at Hazleton. I'm in their Stop Smoking Cessation program. <laughs> Seven days. Any of you have ever done heroin, I feel sorry for you. That's about what it felt like. But it, <laughs> I, what I want to tell you is this stuff really works. And, and now some of you have seen me smoke. What you don't know is this is my first attempt at quitting smoking. And you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. The woman down there, she gave me a little booklet for when I relapsed and I was very offended. Because <laughs> after all, I'm Mark, don't you know? And uh, she explained to me that uh, in all the years she's been helping people quit cigarettes, she's never known anyone who in their first attempt to ever quit and stayed off. And so she was sure I probably would, but in then I did, I mean, found this book helpful. And, uh, but anyway, make a long story short, you know, uh, this this is working. I, I uh, gosh, I used to smoke two and a half packs a day. I think I went 40 days, uh, and I'm probably still only smoking 10 a day. And I'm going to pick another quit date. And I also have ceased fighting. I, I don't. I, I've stopped fighting that. But the point I'm really trying to make is, if you'll do this exercise, particularly if you've got some time, you'd be amazed at the areas of your life in which agnosticism has come back into your life. That's what I call it. And uh, so that was my one experience with, uh, I also wrote some very specifically around some, some finances, uh, combination of debt, investment, and some other things. And uh, boy, I'm here to report to you uh, uh, five, six months later, just incredible changes in that, uh, that area. Uh, so this stuff really works. I, I guess my experience with all that is that which I'm unwilling to give to the power so the power can impact 
Uh, it's, it's probably going to stay about the way it's always been because <laughs> self-reliance just doesn't work for me. Uh, I'll tell you uh, another thing, and I did this one several years ago. This is this area of relationships. Uh, I've been uh, married and divorced uh, four times, and so I know what it's like thinking you need someone in your life to be okay. Uh, and I had some young whippersnapper about six months gave me a consideration which kind of spun my head around. He asked me to consider that, is it possible that it might be the will of God that I never have anyone in my life? And I told him that I'd never considered that, but that maybe I ought to get open to it. And so the point I'm making is the second step proposition was it's no longer any of my business if that ever happens. If it does, so be it. And if it doesn't, so be it. And I'm I just don't care anymore. I just don't care. Uh, I see what happens when I care. <laughs> so I don't care anymore, and great peace comes in. So this is a very powerful exercise. And again, if you're sitting here with some time, it's a great one for, for you to look at and say, see, what you put on this list, I promise you, are the areas that are causing you suffering. It's areas you've been unwilling to give to God. That's probably what is on this list. And the suffering can end if you give it to God and take it through a process, based on my experience. So I'd like to hear from uh, some of you. Yeah. Um, it's not just your suffering. I guarantee you, the people around you are suffering as well. It's causing harm and damage in other people's lives. You know, remember the tornado exercise? Uh, we, we spiral out of control, and, and we hurt everybody. Everybody that's around us gets affected by it. Um, who's got the mics? There's one over there. Is there anyone closer? We, got a, we need a mic over here. Oh, there's one over there. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Hi, everybody. Is it on? No, you turn the other one on. I think we got the other one. They're both on? Try Hi. There you go. Okay. You're on. I'm Stephanie, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Stephanie. And um, when he was explaining this um, exercise, I knew immediately what I was going to write down. Um, and it really brought up a very severe emotional reaction. Um, I wrote down migraines. And even before he told us to write down what you were afraid of, I, had, I knew, I just wrote, I was afraid that God wouldn't heal me. And I realize I've never really have gotten on my hands and knees and asked God to help me. I've been running around for five years to doctors and neurologists and clinics and holistic people and you name it, I've done it. And I've never gone to God, never one. And I know it's because I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to have to live with this. Uh, is that powerful or what? Yeah, hand the mic over here, will you? Hello. Hello, my name is Ken and I'm an alcoholic. Um, on this list, I put work. Um, um, finances has always been a problem for me. Um, and they talk about that self-crushing uh, defeat in other areas of my life. Like, this has been a problem with me with uh, isms. But it's funny. Um, I realized that work is coming back up as a problem. I own my own business and there's a lot of fear and I'm not, I stopped turning it over to God, whatever it was meant to be. And I, I'm realizing that, you know, I was doing that over the summer 
after I had listened to you, Mark, at, at uh, Detroit. But I stopped doing it, and I realized, like, I'm starting to get anxiety um, and, uh, and all these fears. And a lot of it is, uh, you know, uh, in my business, I'm a young, uh, young man, and I've done a lot of great things, but I'm afraid of being too successful, too envious. Am I going to get so, uh, am I going to start to become more successful? I'm afraid of decisions. I'm afraid of that. Uh, here again, if I become too successful, too focused on money, am I going to lose my sobriety? Because I'm afraid of losing my sobriety today because that's happened in the past because of money and work. So I don't know how to, I try to um, turn it over, but it's very fearful for me. You know, because, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to either making decisions or whatever, uh, you know, like, like, am I going to be, am I going to become successful? Am I going to become high on my horse and forget about AA? And, and that is a big fear for me. I'm afraid of success. I'm afraid of going forward to be successful. And it actually holds me down in life and causes me a lot of stress. So that's, that was what I put down a major for me right now. We got some hands over here. Can you just send the mic over here? Matthew, that's good. Matthew's good. Yep, you're on. Hello? Hello? Yeah, you're on. We have, we got, by the way, let's keep it short because we got five minutes and there's several hands. <laughs> um, I did this the first time just like a month and a half ago. And uh, I wrote down here, you know, I'm looking, I got my cards in my pocket and I'm doing this like, you should have just did this, you know? Uh, Mark's like, you might have missed something. Obviously, I, I caught a, a judgment that I had when I was talking to him last night when I did my review. And, uh, so I've got stuff on here, uh, this girl I'm not after, emotional health, judgment of others, judgment of myself, how I get help, my ex-girlfriend, my ex whose name is Ruth. Um, <laughs> I put a name down here, I didn't put my ex-girlfriend. Um, anyway, I put, I put out everything I'm unwilling to give to God or have in, or don't feel like is in God's hands, and then I put down what I'm afraid of. But I just needed to share this with you all. When I did this a month ago, I couldn't get to the next part about what would I think God would want me to be? Because I thought, if I write it down, I need to be able to make that happen. And I need to get from rich to shore myself. And it's that whole trap of knowledge that Castaneda writes about. Like, I know I'm supposed to be peaceful, trusting it, but I don't have the power to make that happen. Um, and it was a real big hindrance. I'd, I'd call Dave up and want to talk about everything else except, well, how's, how's the exercise? You know? <laughs> I know where it is, you know. Uh, it's on my table. Um, but to look at this from just a month ago, and I'm like, wow, I'm glad I got some blank index cards back at the room because I need to, to write them back down here. Uh, some of the stuff when I look at it from a month ago isn't isn't stuff that I even think about during the day. Um, but this stuff is. It's like, here it is. Um, I just need to share that. Great. Um, Thank you very much. Over here. Yeah, Rich? Yeah, hi, everybody. My name's Rich. I'm an alcoholic. I'm very yeah. close. You're probably going to have to cover it with your hand so that it doesn't get you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was also I was at the Fellowship of the Spirit in August and I was having um, extreme difficulties with personal relationships and just trying to find that perfect person for me or whatever it was I was looking for and I did the exercise it worked wonderfully um, what God wanted me to be was happy happy by myself and, and as my, my friends used to tease me in early sobriety about that part in the 12 and 12 we read last night about there are some people who for whatever reason can't have a family life and rich that might be you and for whatever reason you might be alone and just be to, to dedicate your life to serving AA and the people and when I take a step back and look at that life it's a wonderful life I, I, I have tremendous freedom at work I make three meetings a, a day 
two or three meetings a day. I have seven or eight sponsees. I have a full, rich, wonderful life. And I was going through, and sure enough, as soon as I turned this over to God, he started putting these wonderful women into my life. And my problem is, it's like the first drink with me. If, if a woman, if, if, if they come into my life, I immediately want to grab control, and I'll take it over from here, God. And, and that's when I, I keep, I, I, I routinely screw it up and end and myself in, in a bag of pain. And, and it's not fun stuff. So I'm, I'm doing it again, and I, I know what I have to do. I just have to follow through with it and keep let him have it. I give it to him, but I have a tendency to, to take it back. Thanks. Wow. You know, I've never heard that before. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, in the back. Yeah, you got a mic? Right. Who's got the mic? Frank, alcoholic. Um, I had a real hard time... Uh, putting things down on this list because my mind is like uh, scattered um, but the first thing that came to my mind was my mind was my son Frank um, Dave you heard me share about this before I think you remember but uh, he's a addict he's sitting in jail and uh, I keep wanting to get him sober and I can't seem to do it and I, I just I was thinking you know why why won't I give it to God um, and I just wrote down that uh because uh, I think God or the devil will take them from me. And I don't want that to happen. And it's very, very, very painful. And it definitely affects my relationship with everybody around me. When he, when he's out, I'm a basket case. Because he's always either in jail or in rehab for since he's 10, 10 11 years old. He's 20 now. Um, and, and it's very painful to me. Um, the second one was, was my mother. And I don't have an answer for that yet. Um, I have to really meditate on that. Uh, another one was, uh, was I just did another four-step this past weekend, not this weekend, last weekend with my sponsor, and it was this guy, Sammy. Um, I won't go into the issues, but I want to kill him. Um, and I don't know, and I put down the reason why I don't want him, why I don't want to give it to God is because I want to punish him. And I shared that last weekend with my sponsor. He was like asking me the same questions. Was, why can't you give it away? It's been more than 20 years. I mean, get over it. Get on. Um, and uh, sometimes my life. Um, and, and sometimes I think that sometimes I don't think he'll he'll do what's best for me because I think sometimes I do what's best for me. Um, I'm just really beginning to realize now that I don't know what's best for me. Thanks. You got you know no well we're we're out of time. The uh, Glenn's giving me the high sign. The signal is the the, the CDs are dead. We'll pick up with you when we come back. Here we go. You guys have some time to. Lunch is in seven minutes, so go see if you can get line and get to the bathroom before lunch, and uh, we'll be back here at one o'clock sharp. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Um, for those of you who don't know, this woman standing here, this is my wife Brenda, and. I'd like to publicly apologize to her for using her as the expression, my wife. Uh, I'd also like to thank her uh, because what you have in front of you, she's paid a lot of the price for. You know, the, the hours that I spend alien on the computer and, and that work I do, 12-step work and all that stuff, it's a gift from God. But you also have to remember that there's people that you impact in your life. And uh, she, a lot of times, is left holding the bag at home and holding down the fort. And uh, I really appreciate that. I wanted to publicly acknowledge her for that. Thanks.
There's another thing I wanted to comment on. She is a black belt in Al-Anon. I can't comment enough about Al-Anon. For the first 13 years, there was one program. There was no AA in Al-Anon. It was one program. It was a family program. You showed up at an AA meeting without your family, Dr. Bob would look at you and say, where's your family? Well, they're at home. He'd say, well, you bring them next week or I'll go get them myself. One program. If you're going to be an effective sponsor, you're going to need Al-Anon. Somebody was talking to me, came up to me and he said, you know, he said, there's something going on here. I'm feeling this feeling. He says, you know, I hate to admit it, but the only place I felt that feeling recently is I went to Al-Anon. And I said, so cool. That's great. Fantastic. He says, yeah, you know, I went to an Al-Anon meeting and some guy looked at me and he talked about guilt and shame. And he says, it was like cutting through me like a knife. And he says, I don't hear that in AA meetings. What a shame that we don't talk about the real root of the cause. There's A's, there's Al-Anon. Just because you're one of us and you're part of the fellowship, you qualify. But have some respect. Don't walk into an Al-Anon meeting and say, hey, I'm an alcoholic. I know the 12 steps. And there are steps. You know, that kind of deal. It happens all the time. I recommend it to everybody that I work with. And every one of them looks at me like, you want me to do what? But when they come back, you know, they're, what a blessing. What a blessing. They thank me for it. And they say, wow. You know, and then when you're going on a 12-step call and the guy turns out he doesn't really want it, he just called to get her off his back. Guess what? The big book says you got to carry the message to her if she's willing. If you don't have any Al-Anon context, you've never been to a meeting, you don't know where to point them. You don't know how to, you're not an effective 12-stepper. You don't have the ability to carry the message the way we're supposed to carry it. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to Mark. He's got some stories for you. Mark, alcoholic. Mark. Read, uh. Got two, three little stories here. Read a couple things. This is from a book called <laughs> Who Cares? <laughs> well, you can tell where I've been taken to, right? Uh, it says uh, The Unique Teaching of uh, Ramsha Belsakar. Uh, he says, I, I love what the man he presents and he says in this book, there's only concepts. And uh, he tells the story of you'll use a thorn to get a thorn out of your foot and at some point in time got to throw all the thorns away. So in his teachings, he always just says, well, this is my concept. Do with it as you will. But uh, So he says, seeking happens. You didn't start the seeking. Your head is already in the tiger's mouth. You didn't put it there. The seeking has begun because it was God's will or the will of the source. That seeking should happen through a body-mind organism. And how that seeking progresses is obviously not in your hands. It's in the hands of the power that started the seeking. So leave God's business to God. You are quite correct in saying that at the early stages, at least, the paradox is that for the ego to disappear, it must first come to understand itself. Think of the fourth and fifth step. The mind intellect must necessarily be used in the early stages to try and understand the what is God. Then the intellect comes to realize its own limitations, and with this surrender, intellect eventually becomes merged into intuition. A um, couple stories. Uh, story of uh, Lao Tzu and his disciple. A disciple, his face shining with the glory of achievement, came to Lao Tzu saying, Master, I have got it. Lao Tzu placed his hands on the disciple and said, My son, you have not got it. So the disciple went away dejected, but completely accepting what the master had told him. Time passed, and eventually the disciple returned and fell at the master's feet. Master, it has happened. 
So Lao Tzu raised him up and asked him what had happened. The disciple replied, You told me that I had not got it, and I accepted it as the total truth. I had not the slightest doubt in what you said. But I also had no doubt at all that I had done everything I could possibly do. So I began to just let life happen without any more wanting enlightenment and without wanting to do something about being enlightened. Then there was a sudden, spontaneous appreciation in the heart that it had happened. There was no me left wanting enlightenment, wanting anything. See, here's the paradox. If, if I ask you, do you want enlightenment, if you tell me, yes, the problem is when you become enlightened, the part of you that wanted it won't be around to witness it. <laughs> Here's another story. Story of a Zen master. He grew up living with and listening to his venerable grandfather, who was also a Zen master. When he was very young, he heard his grandfather often say, whatever is to happen will happen. Everything has a destined life. One day, this boy, hurrying from here to there, knocked over a very valuable and favorite vase belonging to his grandfather. The vase broke. So he went to his grandfather and said, you know that vase you like so much? Yes, the old gentleman replied. Well, its life ended three minutes ago. <laughs> and one last quote from uh, Meister Eckhart. He was a uh, Jewish mystic. My, Meister Eckhart put it beautifully. All that the human being can do is wonder and marvel at the magnificence of God's creation. Thousands and thousands of varieties of objects, each with a different programming. In other words, what he says is this. God's creation is a mystery, and all that the human object can do is surrender to the mystery and not try to solve. Mm. The entire weekend just in those stories. But you got to get free of your donkey, if you will, or to even be able to start down that path. Um, when we closed last time, we said that we were going to offer somebody who was over in this corner and he wanted to share about uh, uh, second step proposition. So why don't we uh, do what we have, have to about that? Hi, I'm Fred. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Fred. Um, this piece that I didn't want to let go um, something I had never really had, and that was uh, my mother. Um, died from the disease, got to watch that happen, but she, uh, as I say, didn't have the mom genes, so emotional abandonment was a big thing. So the thing I never really had was a mom growing up. She was there, but not really there. And I want to let go of that, but I, I, did, well, I guess the big struggle I faced and looked at today was, uh, how do you let go of something you never had? You know, or something that I, I desperately want, still do. She's dead and gone. She's still sitting right in my head. You know, so it's uh, something I've been battling with, and it leads to a lot of the behaviors and stuff that I've had with me over the years. You know, and it's uh, it's a challenge. You know, to finally figure out how to let go, hand that over to God, and let Him deal with it. Powerful stuff. <laughs> 